Hello and welcome to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. I'm your host, Roman Tagal, and in today's episode, I'll be talking about the pharma and biotech supply chain with Marco Chiado Piat, president at Terumo Pharmaceutical Solutions, part of Terumo. Marco has worked in the pharma and healthcare sector since the early 90s. His impressive experience has included eight years at McKinsey. He founded his own VC business, had several senior roles at medical device specialist Levanova before joining Terumo Pharmaceutical Solutions in 2017, where he has risen to the top. My research also tells me he is quite the marathon runner and apparently produces his own wine. Hey, Marco, welcome to the show. Good afternoon, Roman. Thank you for welcoming me. It's, it's a pleasure. And uh, although I really want to talk about marathon running in, in wine, I'm going to leave that till, uh, till a little bit later. <laughs> and I want to ask you about, you know, firstly about yourself and, and how you got into the sector. Uh, for, for listeners that have not come across you before, Marco, don't know who you are. Uh, it'd be wonderful to hear you talking about how you kind of uh, got into this space and, and how your career has progressed over the last 30 years or so. All right, I'll, uh, I'll try to be brief on this. But I, I got to say, as, as I think for many of us, fate or chance uh, had its fair share in it, in the sense that uh, when I was young, I was, uh, I was in doubt whether to study medicine, uh, to follow a family tradition, or engineering. And, uh, and I, I flipped the coin, I, I went for electronic engineering, and, uh, and finally, I ended up in the healthcare sector. So you don't really have control on what you do, and, uh, but it's fun to look backwards. So I studied engineering in Italy, specifically uh, computer science and automation. But then I started working in consulting. And there, I think I worked in most of the non-industrial sectors, but uh, I started to concentrate more and more in, uh, in healthcare, especially on pharmaceuticals. And I had to recognize that the pharmaceutical world was very different in the mid-90s than uh, what it is right now. But that's what I specialized more and more during my early years as a, as a consultant. Then after a, uh, a parenthesis as an investor, running a VC fund, investing in different technology companies, uh, in a couple of cases also in medical devices, I, uh, I ended up starting working with uh, Livanova, which uh, many of us might know is, is active in healthcare, specifically in the cardiac and vascular space, as well as now in uh, neuromodulation. And there I, I discovered in full a, a strong passion for not only the healthcare, but the medical device uh, world that puts together the, uh, the healthcare flavor with the engineering flavor, much more than the, the, the pharmaceutical world I was used to from my previous experience as a consultant. And uh, I ended up spending many years over there. And then when I switched, I switched again within the same environment. I think that reaching a certain age, you know what you know, and uh, you, you know where your passions are. After that experience, I, I moved again around in the medical device industry and ended up as member of a, a very interesting team within uh, Terumo, which is a larger corporation, of course, dealing with uh, medical devices applied to the pharmaceutical industry. So the back, back to the old love of uh, healthcare in general and medical devices and pharmaceuticals together. That's very much, in short, my uh, my trip through the professions from my early days at university till today. Very good. Thank you very much for that uh, that overview. And your your passion for for healthcare. Am I correct in assuming that that probably comes from your parents? If you uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you mentioned that they had a medical there was a medical background within the family. Do you think that's where your passion comes from? <laughs> no, I, I don't think so. Otherwise, I wouldn't have chosen for electronic engineering. Uh, <laughs> there must be something in the in the in the in the genes. But then, 
very frankly, uh, the pharmaceutical industry was the industry where I enjoyed working the most when working as a young consultant. And that's where the passion really came. Family, I think the environment helped because my father's a doctor, my uncle's a doctor, my brother's a doctor, my sister-in-law's a doctor. There's many, many physicians uh, around me when I was young, but uh, at the end of the day, the, the passion in me sprouted when, uh, when I started working side by side by, with the healthcare professionals. And that happened during my early years as a consultant. Yeah, thank you for that. And, and you mentioned the 90s was a very different place for the pharmaceutical industry. And, uh, and I believe you were at McKinsey working as a consultant at the time. How would you say the pharmaceutical industry has changed between what it was like in the 90s versus what it is now? I, I understand there's been lots of fundamental changes, but just yeah, curious to hear what has really changed and also what, what has stayed the same, if anything, in that time. Well, I, I, first of all, I think I'm, I'm, I'm not in the best position to, to, give a, to give a real answer, but I, I can give you my impression from the angles uh, I was seeing this industry uh, back then, from what I've seen from the outside during many years to follow, and from what I see right now. I think at that time, I, I, I started in, in 92 somehow interacting with the pharmaceutical industry. I think the research was still significantly uh, linked to the big pharmacos. So the big wave of uh, the, the biotechs and the, and, the, and the teams focused on development of uh, new molecular entities that then would be fully developed and especially brought to market with success by the large pharmacos was not the case yet. So the big wave of that we've seen, uh, we've seen afterwards. That's the most significant element. The second element of uh, great change that I witnessed uh, by, by starting then and coming back to this industry again is the, is the development of CDMO as an integral part of this industry. You know, the, 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 the big wave of uh, birth and development of CDMO entities uh, covering intensely a, a, a very important part of the pharmaceutical supply chain has come later. Was not was not the case at that time. Was not the case in the early nineties. At least was not the case in my eyes. Maybe I was looking at the world with a different pair of eyes, but it is a significant difference that I found uh, when coming back. Uh, closer to the pharmaceutical industry, even though from a very specific angle, like I've done in uh, 2017. Very interesting. I'm glad we got your perspective on that. And you're absolutely, yeah, I mean, the the, the influence in, and growth of the CDMO space in particular has been, uh, I suppose, a key driver in the last 15, 20 years or so. And, and <clears throat> Terumo as an organization, for, for anyone that doesn't know what Terumo does and, and also how your particular business unit fits within, I suppose, the, the, the corporate Terumo uh, mix. Do you mind explaining kind of what the wider business does and then how you guys kind of slot in within the bigger picture? Indeed, I'll, I'll, I'll try to give a very brief uh, illustration. <laughs> Terumo is, a, uh, is a fairly normal, uh, medium to large uh, medical device company mainly medical devices. So right guide the size is uh, $6 billion revenues, take or leave some, split in three major areas. Uh, the largest one, say half of the total business, is what we call the cardiac and vascular company. We call divisions companies within Toronto. And there we go from interventional cardi cardiology solutions from introducers to stents to anastomosis devices to uh, extracorporeal circulation devices so oxygenators hardline machines ECMOs and the like to more specific solutions for uh, peripheral interventional interventional radiology uh, intervention oncology and the like so that's 
more, more or less half of the total uh, Terumo business. Uh, another third is constituted by what we call the General Hospital Company, uh, which is mainly supplying a, a large number of different kinds of solutions to hospitals and clinics, and mainly in Japan. And I will come back to, to that. The remaining portion is what we call and is known since a long time as BCT, so Blood and Cell Technologies. It is now Terumo BCT, but it's a business that uh, is existing since, uh, since a long while and has uh, passed through different uh, groups, which is what I call the blood business, uh, blood collection, treatment, aphoresis, all that refers to blood and cell technologies, Terumo BCT. So these are the three large souls of uh, Terumo. Within the second one that I mentioned, the General Hospital Company, there's a smaller uh, business unit, which we call the Alliance business, that is actually the almost the only business-to-business -business activities within Terumo. And those activities are devoted to serving pharmaceutical customers. So the Alliance business in different shapes and forms, and of course, we'll go more in depth later on during our conversation, serves the need of pharmaceutical companies with products and with services that are an integral part of the overall supply chain and of the overall uh, value chain by which uh, pharmaceutical companies add value to the world through products and services. <laughs> Very good. And I uh, have to ask um, about, I suppose, the cultural differences and uh, learnings that you've had, I suppose, you know, having a European, uh, albeit a global business, but from, from Europe uh, within, a, within a bigger Japanese business. And how, how have you found that uh, transition and, and what, what value does it bring and what restrictions does it bring or anything like that in terms of uh, kind of having, I suppose, a, a Japanese parent company? Well, I, I think every company is uh, is a is a world apart, and of course, each each company have uh, uh, its own roots, which give a specific character to the interaction, the life within a company. But it's also composed of the contributions that each single individual brings to the management style and to the way of interacting within individuals and uh, within larger, larger teams. Certainly in Terumo, the Japanese culture and the Japanese flavor in the management style is uh, present, even though in different quantities and different intensity uh, within the various uh, businesses. I, I mentioned uh, three large companies and businesses within Terumo. Uh, definitely the business I belong to, uh, having the vast majority of activities and, um, and customer interactions based in Japan, not the business that I lead, but the company I belong to, is the one which is more Japanese in its core, for good and bad. It's not a judgment, it's a fact. Uh, Rumo BCT is the, is the most uh, Anglo-Saxon and specifically American. You know, BCT was part of Kobe in the past, was part of Gambro in the past, is, uh, is now since, uh, since a number of years, uh, part of Terumo and fully integrated within Terumo but still brings a very strong characterization as an American company within uh, the larger corporation. And, uh, and cardiac and vascular is so wide and varied in its nature that I would say is uh, in between. Definitely the general hospital company is the most uh, Japanese of all three, uh, like I was mentioning before. Now, within this, Terumo Pharmaceutical Solution is a small exception because uh, we are part of the Alliance Business Unit, 
we do work as business to business, and we are an exception in that. And we do work globally based out of Europe and not based out of Japan and acting in every corner of the world. So we have our small headquarters in, uh, in Europe, in Belgium specifically, and we got teams in North America, in South America, in all countries, in India, in China, in Korea, everywhere. We even do business in Japan based uh, starting from here. So uh, even though we live in a very Japanese flavored corporate culture, the contribution that each of us non-Japanese uh, bring to the party makes the mix uh, interesting and very intriguing to work in. Yeah, I really, really love that that kind of sense of um, you're almost better because of the diversity within the business is given is that kind of complementary skills uh, between you know the Japanese culture, European and North America. It's really uh, quite fascinating. And in you, I just wanted to kind of you know the career that you've had over the last kind of thirty years or so is is incredibly impressive and. I'm I'm kind of interested to know what you know. Where do you or what do you attribute your success to? Uh, you know, are there particular skills that you've developed over time that's you know enabled you to, uh, you know, lead such uh, such uh, I suppose high leadership roles, or um, you know other other makeup in your or career? And you mentioned fate and chance <laughs> at the start, and I'm sure there's an element of that as well. Uh, but yeah, just just interested to know kind of within your skill set of what's driven you to the career success that you've you've had well first of all and not be for being modest or falsely modest but i i i don't consider specific and any other steps specific career successes but career steps or opportunities that that i've had they are up or down or lateral moves at the end of the day nobody cares i, I do care uh, about uh, liking what I do and, and enjoying the different steps. So in, in, in this sense, I think that passion has always been uh, uh, a very significant element for me. Curiosity has been another one. So passion is, is you know, uh, insisting on something that you like and uh, creating hopefully a success for yourself, for your team, for your company, putting that extra boost, I don't know how to call it, that 20% more than your normal 100%. And that, that's driven by, by passion. The only way you, you're doing something that is really thrilling you, giving you the, the, the adrenaline that you're looking for, you, you manage to, at least that's my experience, to fully serve your purposes and fully serving the, the needs of your company, uh, being you a researcher or a middle manager, uh, a, a sales director or whatever. The curiosity is also something very important for me because it's something that helps in changing trajectory and, uh, and tasting something different. Like if you're curious about something different than what you've experienced in the in the in the past five years, and if this curiosity brings you to change, you also need to be uh, ready to take the risk and sometimes facing failures. So if you if you got passion to to drive forward, if you got curiosity to maybe step on a parallel track, you also need a bit of courage to be able to face failures or to swallow some uh, some bitter bites w with that i i think uh, i would characterize what uh, what i've done so no specific phenomenal skills have brought me to any specific phenomenal success in addition to this i would say what, what characterizes uh, all i've done is that i have a specific passion for for people for human interaction for uh you know, being part of a team and, uh, and, and serving as the others uh, on, uh, on a team objective or trying to build teams that uh, aim at uh, big objectives. And that's, uh, you know, if we put together passion, curiosity, 
and, and also courage to take some risks. That has also characterized uh, all, the, all the work that I've done in the past and I'm, I'm trying to do on my teams and, uh, and with my teams and with the single individuals. I really like that uh, kind of link to curiosity and passion. And you said an interesting word there, which was failure. And I'm a, I'm a huge believer in, you know, making mistakes and failing. And then, you know, I suppose being better for that in, in your life and career. Are there any, are there any failures that you've, that you've experienced in, in your career that, that at the time may have seemed <laughs> awful and I suspect were, but at the same time, uh, you know, ultimately ended up being something that made you better and stronger kind of moving forward. Yeah, I, I'm very good at this. I'm very good at failures. Um, <laughs> <laughs> jokes apart, uh, I, I think like, like you correctly said, uh, no, no, no failure comes with uh, all negatives. Uh, and actually, the I think all of us, uh, consciously or, or not, uh, we learn from failures more than we we could imagine. If if I can name only one and hide all the others, I, I think that the the area where the moment and the area where I've learned the most throughout my entire career was in my experience as a, as a founder, founder. And, uh, and CEO of a venture capital fund that then transformed the private equity and whatever. Year 2000, very early year 2000, you know, I was very accomplished as a consultant, very satisfied of myself, you know, big chest, very proud, but I, I wanted to, I wanted to, I wanted to do something for myself. You know, I, I was sick and tired of telling others what to do right things, wrong things, I don't know. But, uh, you know, as a consultant, you continuously tell others what to do and what, you watch them implement it, forgetting to implement, failing to implement, paying the, 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 the fees uh, for your mistakes and whatever. I wanted to do something for myself. So this entrepreneurial spirit was so powerful in me that I could not resist. And, and, and at that time, and as everywhere, if you really want to be an entrepreneur, you take the chance. And if you don't know specific things and specific environments, you you would be an entrepreneur in whatever. So at that time, I, I took the chance and I set up an investment fund. Uh, it was configured as a as an incubator at that time. It was times, you know, the second half of 99, actually the, the full of 99 was a, the big hype of uh, internet incubators, dot-com incubators like CNGI, SCG, and so on and so forth. So what I did with uh, with the, my other co-founders is uh, like a good consultant, uh, copy-paste, scale down to our possibilities, etc. A, a benchmarked and very successful model. We implemented that up and uh, we, we completed the project and we, we left our uh, safe harbor of uh, our very important consulting firm and uh, we went sailing with, uh, with our uh, new venture. The date was uh, 26th of February, year 2000. You might or not remember, but the, the 10th of March, so 15 days later, was the peak day of Nasdaq. And from that moment, everything started to crumble down. Everything. So we, we lived uh, with our passion and our entrepreneurial spirit, one of the worst times to be an entrepreneur in, and definitely the worst time ever to be an entrepreneur with uh, internet incubators or ICT investment uh, vehicles like we did. And we could not have chosen a worse timing in, uh, in our expected lifetime. So I don't know what tomorrow will, uh, will give us, but at least in the, in the past 50 years, worse time to, to start a venture like that. We survived. We managed to give significant money back to our investors, which nobody could have believed it in just... If you if you could ask our investors in that fund how the future would look like uh, 
at the end of the year 2000, everybody was tired. Okay, it's gone. It's gone. It was not an industry uh, manageable and that could survive. We've had a, a, a good experience. Those guys uh, walk on water, they're superstars, but they cannot win against uh, such a wave in the face of all similar vehicles born in the year 99 and 2000. Well, we, we ended up, like I said before, giving up, giving back uh, significant money to investors, uh, surviving four years, closing this adventure without uh, firing one single person, without any bloodshed in any of the investment company, and with a huge gain in terms of professional experience. I did not become a rich man uh, out of that experience, but I learned probably half of all my professional learnings, uh, I can say, are concentrated in those four years. So it's, um, it's something that. that I would repeat uh, any time, even with the same stormy waters to, to cross. I still have uh, scars on my back, but I, I don't regret that choice. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely adore what you said there. And I think there's a lesson in there for, for many people around, uh, you know, difficult times, you know, as difficult as they are at the time, you know, you often learn a great deal from them and you're better f for them. And certainly my own experience, that's, uh, that's been the same. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector, the podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. I wanted to talk about some of your interesting hobbies outside of outside of work. Um, you've run many marathons, including the uh, six major marathons. And I also believe you are a wine producer in, in Northern Italy. Um, so I'm very jealous because I've not done either of those two things. <laughs> but I'd, I'd like so actually, firstly on the marathon running, because you know someone that's run a you know a few marathons, not not certainly as many as, as you have. You know, I I bring parallels between marathon training and and, and the achievement of, of completing a marathon. Actually, with with running my own business, there's there's incredible similarities between between the two of them so i'm interested firstly to, you know tell tell the listeners about you know your achievements in in your marathon runnings but i'm also interested to know what you've learned from from achieving all those things and you know if there are any similarities and parallels between anything else uh, on the career side as well who big complex question how many hours do we have <laughs> We've got fifteen. We've got fifteen minutes left too. <laughs> well, uh, uh, first of all, uh, one first and very important parallel is that I, I run marathons and, and ultra marathons and different kind of mountain trails or whatever because I enjoy it. So I do it because I love it, and, and that's a very important parallel for a professional activity as well. Because I'm doing, I'm doing, I have the luck of doing a job of which I, I get to say that I enjoy almost every minute. I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm not dumb and uh, I'm, I'm not faking that 100% of the things we do, we enjoy, etc. But in, in essence, I love it. And that's why I devote so much time uh, to, my, to my professional life because I like doing what I like. Same story for, for running. You, uh, you, you normally, as a hobby, you don't do things that you don't like, but especially uh, you don't choose uh, such, a, such a painful hobby if you don't really like it. So that, that's, that's very clear in, in my mind. You know, I, I do it because I, because I love it. Second thing, I do it because I need it. Just like I, I uh, I'm, again, I'm not uh, a rich person, I work to live. If I if I, could, if I could live without working, I would probably do at least in part uh, many other things, including uh, 
uh, you know, charities, pro bonos, etc. But at the end of the day, I work because I need to work. And I run because I, I, I need to consume calories because I am not only a wine producer, but I, I also like my wine, everybody else's wine and food, etc. We, we measure and with, uh, you know, never going beyond what is uh, a very limited and calculated calories intake. But I like, I like good things in, in life. And, uh, and running marathons help, uh, of course, uh, consuming those calories. Jokes apart, the, 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 the other element that I like in, uh, in training and, uh, and achieving uh, the end line, the finish line of a marathon or whatever other, other race is that you, you, you need to train yourself for resistance your, your, your body and your, uh, you know, your muscles for resistance and you need to train your brain for, <clears throat> you need to train your brain for resilience. And, and, and those are, are things that uh, if you train, if you train yourself uh, one way, you, you use your muscles or your mental muscle in, uh, in, in different uh, environments in your life, including the professional environment. I think uh, resilience is a is a mental attitude, or can be seen also as a mental attitude. It's trainable in the professional field uh, as well as in the in the hobby passion uh, field like jogging and uh, and running. A- again, a very clear parallel between uh, my hobby and my my day to day professional activity. I, you know, I really, I was chuckling there when you you talked about the wine and, and calories piece because I remember years ago listening to a radio show and the the host talked about um, he ran half marathons and, and marathons because it allowed him to drink beer. He said, you know, very simple equation: I can drink beer as long as I'm running. And it's funny because that stuck with me for many years. Where I I like to drink, you know, beer and you know, not not at a not like a, a at an alcoholic level or anything like that, but you know I love I love trying new beers in probably the same way you do with wine and uh, it's funny because that's how I ended up getting into marathons, which was well if I want to try lots of new beers, I need to find ways of keeping the weight off as well. So that's it's interesting that that's uh, similar to yourself and and tell us a bit about the wine production as well. I presume that happens in in northern Italy where you're where you're based now. Um, you know what what does that look like and. How did you get into it? And yeah, and if you want to send me a bottle afterwards, that would be that would be wonderful as well. Well, let's start from the from the from the latter. Not only I will, but uh, you're officially invited uh, when movements will be allowed again. Uh, Thank you. Over here, of course. You're, well, it's you're a, gonna re- you're gonna you're gonna regret that when I've got my, when me and my three kids are waiting at the door. <laughs> yeah, I never regret it, believe me. <laughs> uh, well, winemaking is a, is a is a is a side passion that uh, actually is a is a joint passion together with my uh, younger brother, and and I have uh, and I've been lucky to have uh, one one of my brothers, my my younger one, super passionate and super professional about wine. He's uh, he's not the the doctor. He's the he's another engineer in the family who has developed an insane passion for winemaking, wine tasting, whatever. He's a third level sommelier, etc., and really an expert in winemaking. So the, the the whole story started when uh, you know I I was born in in Torino, which is my hometown, but I I moved to Milan for working here, and I. And I stayed working in Milan since uh, now more than 25 years. So at a certain point, we, we decided to do something together to have an excuse to see each other regularly. Otherwise, the two families would be too far apart. So we bought a small vineyard and we started playing. And, uh, and, and from there, uh, thanks to uh, my brother's passion, resistance and resilience and my participation i couldn't say more than that <laughs> so i'm not the the driver behind the winemaking i'm more the follower here 
this passion has, uh, has become a more robust and structured passion that, you know, brings not only joy, but uh, activities, customers, uh, a lot of friends, and, uh, and, and, and a lot of people that like to participate in the winemaking, in the pruning, in the, in the harvesting, etc., together with us. So during the different seasons, we got uh, different activities that we not only perform, but that uh, allow us also to see friends that uh, volunteer from here and there to participate in that. That's, that's the part that I like most. In addition to this, I get to confess is we, we are openly talking about calories. Not only have the luck to come from Northern Italy, where red wine is, uh, is something serious, but have the luck in normal times to work out of Belgium, where the European headquarters of Terumo are based. And uh, you were talking about beer before. <laughs> one place which I call the University of Beer is definitely Belgium. So <laughs> the presentation uh, is, uh, is strong and active when I'm, uh, when I'm in Belgium. And that's why I need to keep training, running every day, every morning when I'm in Belgium as well, because the calories intake, thanks to excellent beers, is, uh, is always welcome when I'm there. <laughs> Despite the fact that all I want to continue talking about is uh, is wine and beer and uh, and marathon training, that's maybe a maybe a part two for us to do. Um, we have to remember this is a podcast about uh, the farmer and biotech sector, so I wanted to spend the last five minutes or so just kind of refocusing back on the on the the sector. And um, so I'm interested to know how, obviously, you know, in the in the midst of the the pandemic at the minute, how's that how that's impacted. Uh, your your business and also I suppose any other big trends that you're seeing seeing across the board in terms of dosage forms and technologies and and anything like that that might be of of use and interest to our to our listener. Well, I'll, I'll I'll try to I'll try to keep my answer very brief, even though as you might imagine, the, the effects of the pandemic have been huge on society in general. Uh, they've been uh, also huge uh, and very varied uh, sector to sector in different industries and also within medical devices and the pharmaceutical industry, they've been, uh, they've been noticeable. From, from a medical devices point of view, it really, it really depends on, on, on the sector and in, in Terumo as all other competitors Within especially the cardiac and vascular field, we've seen big waves, you know, down, then recover up and then down again. Big waves of um, cardiac ORs and cath labs utilization linked to uh, all the downs and ups and downs again of elective procedures performed, both surgical and interventional. So many, many medical devices companies uh, are currently on the on the roller coaster uh, in terms of uh, in terms of volumes going up and down again and trying to forecast and and to hope for more stability in the in the future for what concerns uh, my business uh, which is you know in between a, a good bridge between the medical devices world and the pharmaceutical industry we are we as Terumo pharmaceutical solutions clearly more subject to the uh, weight of the pharmaceutical industry and to the effects that are generated by the pandemic on the pharmaceutical world. And very frankly, uh, what we see, the, the, the two significant effects that we, we've seen are linked to the fact that we are, uh, as Thermo Pharmaceutical Solutions, mainly providing injection and infusion devices that are kitted together, kit packaged together with uh, pharmaceutical products for different uh, uh, applications, uh, as well as primary containers for, for the same. So I, I, while normally I keep saying that we live in a privileged world, business-wise, the healthcare sector is normally acyclical or far less cyclical than uh, 
any other industrial sector. In, in this case, the pharmaceutical industry has been hit even less. The, the two areas where, where we do see, uh, and we also forecast for the future, uh, an effect, a negative effect from the pandemic are essentially, uh, one, the aesthetics business, partially, and the second one, the travel vaccines business, you know, no travel, no travel vaccines. But these are, are, are a small portion of our business, pharmaceutical solutions, and also of the activities of many of our customers. So in essence, I would say the pharmaceutical industry is once more blessed by, by, by this situation because it is much more acyclical than many others. Now, of course, pharmaceutical industry is also exposed to the large development uh, efforts and investments, and uh, and uh, and presumably also for the winners, also the, the the large outcomes, positive outcomes in terms of business, in terms of supply chain, and and you name it, linked to the race to uh, to to vaccines. The effect of this on our business as Truma Pharmaceutical Solutions is probably going to be seen more in the next quarters, not the immediate ones. We know that uh, the the first vaccines coming to coming to fruition will be delivered in multi-dose vials, so typically not kit packets with delivery devices, etc. Uh, the wave of that uh, in terms of impact on the uh, on uh, needles, on syringes, on primary containers, etc., will probably come uh, later. Yeah, later, I mean, uh, in one or two or three years. What we still don't know is the evolution in the different areas of the world of uh, of the current uh, uh, pandemic spread, and this might still show effects. On, uh, on the day-to-day -day work of uh, associates working in the pharmaceutical industry, in the supply chain for the pharmaceutical industry, in medical device, etc., and, uh, and might still impact our professional lives also quite significantly in the months to come. <laughs> That's fascinating to hear, I suppose, the, the shorter term and, and longer term, I suppose, impact of the pandemic on, on your business and actually the, I suppose, the market at large. And my, my final question was kind of linked to the previous question, which was around, do you, are you seeing an acceleration of any trends or anything within uh, your business that were kind of happening anyway, uh, but, but seem to have been I suppose forced by the hand of by the hand of COVID, both in terms, I suppose, of ways of working within within your team, but also just, uh, I suppose, the sector that we operate in, and you know, collaborations with other people and that type of thing. Are you seeing any kind of acceleration of anything that you you thought might happen in the future happening now? Uh, this one is the most difficult of all. Uh, I'll try to respond in a, in a in a blunt way to the risk of being very wrong. I, I, I think that what, what we're seeing, uh, I think that what we're seeing will not change the, the overall tra trajectory of uh, our industry, nor are the trajectory of the evolution of our working habits, nor our personal lives uh, in, in, in such a way that we will uh, remember it five years from now. And you, you, you might say, what is this guy saying? I think that uh, in, in our industry, we are used to thinking of the long term. So impacts of, uh, on our next six months uh, are significant, but are impacts covering a, a small portion of a project a new drug development, uh, a life cycle of a, of a new pharmaceutical entity, uh, whatever. So first of all, we, we need to understand that we are in an industry that lives and, and works with uh, large timeframes. Second of all, I think that, you know, everybody's trying to define the new normal, etc. Uh, frankly, we're talking here about uh, global 
companies, big or small global companies, interacting with uh, each other. And when I say big or small, also small companies are used in the pharmaceutical industry or for the pharmaceutical industry to interact with the global customers and partners. So working from far away, working remotely, managing complex projects with, uh, with customers, with client partners or with suppliers remotely is something that we already were pretty good at. All of us, not us, Terumo, all the people in this industry. Uh, our industry is not very local. So the difference for us and the difference for me is that I currently cannot go to the office in Belgium and, 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 and hug with my, my team members and having a nice chat about the kids in the morning at the coffee machine or uh, kissing each other when we say goodbye, etc. But I'm used to interact with, uh, with uh, Pharma A or Pharma B or Pharma C in California on the East Coast or uh, in, uh, in Korea, in China and in India. So this, this flavor of, of being alone and isolated working from home will go away, but the, the, the habit of working on complex projects from far away and achieving results uh, without interacting physically with uh, our partners, our customers, and only doing it maybe when we travel once every six months, etc., was there is there now and will come back. So it's not going to be a significant change in the way we look at it. The significant change that I think will stay for us is that even though we all knew it intellectually, we all planned somehow with the business continuity arrangement plans, etc., etc., once more, we have realized that uh, the, the unknown and the unforeseen can happen. And we need to be good not only at being resilient and resistant in what we do every day, but also in uh, exercising our agility muscle uh, to go with uh, unprecedented situations. Uh, I'll conclude with, with one, one, one example. You know, we, we've all lived in, uh, in, in this period, the, the, the constant evolving surprises on day by day and week by week on how big the pandemic, which started to be surfaced in, in, in January and then February, actually was and how it hit our day-to-day -day habits. In my past, in 2012, in my, my previous company, I lived through an earthquake which not only destroyed our uh, uh, main and, and only actually production center for uh, cardiac oxygenators, but it destroyed a center which was producing basically one third of the, of the units consumed every year in the world. So the entire cardiac surgery industry was hit and uh, everybody altogether, not only us professionals in my previous company, but all of our competitors in, in that market, including my current company, Terumo, had to join forces together to cope with the unexpected and to try to serve the needs of uh, the patients, which is ultimately the goal of uh, all of us together, even when we work uh, in different industries. So at, at that time, you know, I was shocked to see how your certainties can, uh, can change and be destroyed in, uh, in a few tens of seconds. And you, you need to quickly reinvent a way to work to cope for the needs, cope with the needs of the people that, that need those devices because of their health. Now we, we, we learned a, a new one, a different one. I think that uh, the, the lesson is that uh, we need to be ready to exercise our agility muscle every day, uh, hopefully not for big things like this, but also for smaller things, uh, because sometimes we exercise on small things 
and medium-sized or large things happen that need that muscle to be strong. Mm-hmm. Well, I love, I love how we've ended our conversation, Marco, and I think there's some really uh, salient points that you made there that I think will resonate with, with many of us around ultimately serving the patient and I suppose being ready for the unknown. And I love what you said about the agility muscle and uh, you know that sense of resilience, which again links back to your marathon <laughs> ability, which I think is uh, is fascinating. And I'm sure we could talk for hours and hours, Marco. But I, I wanted to say thank you very much for for being a, a guest on Molecule to Market. It's been a, a pleasure speaking with you, and and thank you for making the time and sharing your views. Roman, thank you for hosting me, and I reiterate my invitation is valid, and it has no expiry date. That is a dream situation for me on a Monday morning, getting that type of invitation. Stay safe. Thank you very much, Marco. Thank you again, Romal and all. again thanks so much for tuning in to molecule to market we hope you enjoyed today's episode you can find more shows on spotify apple podcast or wherever you like to listen get in touch with us on our website molecule to marketpod.com and follow us on linkedin or twitter and we will see you again next week Molecule to Market is sponsored and funded by Remarketing, an international content, digital and design agency that helps companies get noticed, raise profile and generate leads in life sciences.